0: The church in Corinth was an out of control, chaotic church. This church was, was they had zeal for the Lord, but, but let's face it, as, as you read 1 Corinthians, they were a little messed up. They, they, were, they were just a little messed up. Speaking of messed up, I, I, it reminded me this week of a story. Um, something that happened to me years ago is probably 10 years ago, and I was asked to do a wedding by a member of our church at that time. And it wasn't for him, but it was for his son who didn't go to our church. But I said, yes, I, I would do it at that time. And and so I showed up at, at the wedding venue out in Florence and um, things were just kind of getting ready. And by the time the wedding started, the wedding party started to, to show up and then started walking up. And I noticed something was a little off and, and things were a little chaotic and I was about five minutes into the, to the, to the ceremony and realized that the entire wedding party was flat out drunk. Everybody was, was, was really wasted, frankly. I continued with the way with the, I should have stopped. And you know what? Today, by the way, I will stop. And we will just cancel that ceremony at that time because that's not the way we come before the Lord for holy matrimony. At that time, I didn't. I just kept going. We finished the wedding, and within a year, that that couple was divorced. And um, it's a sad thing. I I, I just I'm just telling the story because sometimes in the body of Christ, we can just be messed up. We can just miss the mark. We can we can we can miss the moment and what God really has for us. And what do you do though with a church that's messed up? we'd probably just write off that kind of a church. Maybe we'd go out on social media and, and criticize that church in front of the whole world uh, for how messed up they are. The last thing we would do is want to come alongside that kind of a church, uh, engage with that kind of church. But But that's not what Paul did. Paul came across a church here in this place called Corinth that was messed up, and instead of running away from them, instead of uh, of criticizing them and writing them off, he poured into them. He poured into these brothers and sisters. He, he sought to bring them through to a better position. And may we do the same with the bride of Christ. Do we understand that? That, that we're all messed up in some way to some degree. We all have our different issues. But we're the bride of Christ. And what we don't want to do is we don't want to be those who are throwing mud at Jesus' bride. We want to be those, when we stand before Jesus himself, who can stand before him and be those who have come alongside of his bride to prepare his bride, to encourage his bride for that wedding day when he returns. All right? All right? So if you all are out on social media and you're being the heresy Nazis or whatever, a heretic you know, finders out there, and you just love throwing mud at the latest pastor who maybe did something stupid or whatever it might be, I would just encourage you, pull back from that, pray, come alongside, let's help the body of Christ be purified and grow. Let's, let's handle Christ's bride with care and compassion and tenderness, okay? And that's what Paul was doing, and sometimes you could hear his emotions coming out and frustration coming out in his letters to the church in Corinth, but he was not writing them off, but coming alongside of them to build them up. Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning of verse 1 says Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere hey by the way are we all those everywhere who maybe this letter's for us too all right? And together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul wrote this, this first letter to this messed up church, to believers, while in Ephesus. Some people say it was as early as 53 AD, others as late as 57. AD. Actually, this isn't the first letter, by the way, that he wrote to the church in Corinth. I don't know if you know that, but but we figure he wrote at least four letters, not just two, but four letters to the church in Corinth. The first letter, we don't have a copy of that, and um, more than likely, it's because it wasn't w- the words he wrote. Obviously, were not words from the Holy Spirit himself, but probably more words from Paul, and there was a lot of frustration that he had, apparently, in that first letter, and we can understand that as we read the first letter that we have. So, this is actually the second letter, but we call it the first letter. So, this is We'll just call it what the Bible calls it, and that's 1 Corinthians. So that's what we're studying here. That's what we're talking about. So what are we about to read? This letter to these believers in this place called Corinth really addresses this age-old question, and that is how do we keep the church in the world while keeping the world out of the church. How do we keep the church in the world? You know, we're supposed to be in the world. In the world, not of the world. You've heard that saying, right? Maybe you got it on your bumper sticker. Not of this world, in the world, not of the world. So how do we keep the church in the world while keeping the world out of the church? And as you read through 1 Corinthians, you're going to see how Paul is directing the church to do this. Today in our messed up, upside down world, where wrong is called right and right is wrong, and, and, and let's just say it the way it is, I mean, we live in a messed up world today. Now, I will tell you this, we think it's messed up beyond what it's ever been in, in, in all of history, that y'all need to study history, is all I'm saying, okay? Some people are like, well, Jesus is coming back tomorrow because it's never been this bad. Y'all read some history, okay? Mankind has been messed up, mankind is messed up right now. And we're messed up pretty bad. I mean, in our nation we abort our babies and then when they're born now what are we doing? We're we're pushing medical procedures on them to turn our girls into boys and our boys into girls. It's messed up. It's a messed up world that we live in. So how do we keep the church in the world but the world out of the church and I'm gonna say this the world needs the church in the world and the world does not need the world in the church because a church with the world in the church is of no use to the world so here we are today will the church be different and will the church make a difference you know a lot of pastors they won't publicly talk about these things. They won't talk about the issues that are in the world, let alone in the church. A lot of pastors won't talk about abortion. They won't talk about the, the evil LGBTQ agenda that is literally destroying now on its second generation of people in this nation. That We don't want to think, we don't want to talk about the divorce rate in the, in the greater body of Christ in our nation, which is the same as it is in the world and that should not be so it's shameful it's not good if paul was alive today the church would be getting another letter i'm telling you it would be in many ways we did because this letter of first corinthians is for us today it's for us today by the way the divorce rate with an evident life church is virtually non-existent and that's just a blessing that's just a blessing It's a testament to the the goodness of God and the people who are just living in the fear of the Lord and, and in the grace, the powerful, amazing grace of Jesus, loving God and loving one another. So 1 Corinthians, it was written to a church that was in a culture war. How many of you feel like we're in a culture war? All right. So when you're reading 1 Corinthians this week, the whole thing, not a big deal, 16 chapters, it's a great read. It's amazing. I believe this is going to speak to you an awful lot, and it's going to help us to navigate this world, this crazy culture war that we're in. Two things that you're going to see uh, in this letter. This this letter is really a response to, to two primary things. The first thing is, Paul received a letter from the people in Chloe's household. He got a note from them. It was kind of a little bit of a tattletale note from the people in Chloe's household, who who wrote Paul and said, Paul, the people here in Corinth are crazy. (laughs) They're messed up. They've gone off the rails. you got to do something about these people here. It's a bad situation. And so, Chloe's household wrote Paul to say, help, basically help. But then... Paul also got another letter. He got a letter from the, the church itself in Corinth, really asking for help, asking Paul questions, asking Paul to, to interject and to guide them and direct them through some different things that, that they were just challenged with as a newer church, trying to figure all this stuff out in a crazy, sinful environment like Corinth. And so that's kind of the backdrop of the letter, 1 Corinthians. It's Paul finding out, Houston or Corinth, we got a problem. And, but, hey, the church was also asking for help. That's a beautiful thing. So as we read 1 Corinthians, we have to decide, each particular chapter and verse, is this an answer to one of the questions that the church had, or is this Paul correcting a problem that he was being made aware of in the church. Point number 1, problems in the church. How many of you know that that there are problems in the church? Right? Because there are people in the church. I just point that out, right? You know that old saying, you know, I'm looking for a perfect church. Well, it's it, as soon as you show up, you know, there it goes. It's not perfect anymore, you know what I'm saying? So there's problems. There's problems in the church. God is still sanctifying us. He's working on us. He's he's perfecting us. He's getting us ready for that day when he returns. And yeah, there are problems in the church, and we have to learn how to navigate those in a loving, good, godly way that glorifies Christ. And so, in addition to pride, which was leading divisions and all kind of disruptions and chaos in this church in Corinth... Um, which we find out about in chapters 1 through 4, d- d- deals with a lot of division and, and backbiting and people can't get along, that kind of stuff in the church in those first four chapters. In addition to that, you had church members taking each other to court. You're going to read about that in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Like, anyway. One of the biggest problems in this church in Corinth had to do with, with sex and sexuality and, and, and immodesty and, and moral defilements and all that kind of stuff. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 5. It says it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. We can probably say that about the body of Christ today too. But in Corinth, it was, it was as of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. It says a man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Yeah, I know. That's pretty messed up. Pretty messed up. So what, what was going on there? You know, when you look at the church in Corinth, they were falling for the lie that, that so many churches had fallen for we're falling for and continue to fall for. And it's an old heresy called Gnosticism, is what it is. It's a misunderstanding of of the body, of the flesh that we live in. It's a misunderstanding of that. And, And Gnosticism sees the body and the spirit as separate. And so you've got people who, who believe that, that, well, we worship God with our spirit and we interact with God with our spirit and our body is something that we just kind of put up with and it's kind of over here and we put up with it uh, until... until you know, it goes away, and then we're, then we're really right, and everything's great. But meanwhile, you know, that's over here. The body's over here. The spirit is over there. I've got my spiritual life. I've got my relationship with God life. And then I've got my, my, my flesh and my Monday you know, through Saturday kind of life. And, and we just, you know, th- th- God understands, you know, how that goes. And that's what was going on in Corinth. Does that sound like anything that might be happening today, in the world today? I mean, I I think it was. I think it is. I mean, you had people in Corinth that actually they would would prophesy and speak in tongues and all kinds of miracles on Sunday when they would gather together. And then Monday morning, they're practicing incest and, and all kinds of other crazy stuff. And the same thing happens with so many Christians today. We, we, we come together on Sunday and we worship and God shows up and it's amazing. And We have these moments with the Lord and then we go right back into the cesspool of life and, and get sucked right back into the old way of living. And, and Paul says it shouldn't be so. You've been redeemed. And not just your spirit, but your spirit, your soul, your body, the entirety of who God created you to be. God created us spirit, soul, and body. He created us to be His people who live in a physical body. Do you know that when he originally created us, when he originally created mankind, that he created us in a way that we would be obviously flesh and bone, but we would never die perfectly? Do you know what corrupted all that? You know what caused death? Sin. Sin caused all that death and the decay and the hurt and the pain and that backache and that neck ache and that this and that that, that, you know, those different things that happened, It, it, it came from sin, not from God's design. See, God doesn't see our bodies as something that's that's evil and horrible and, and, and all of that. In fact, we're going to live for all eternity in bodies, in, in a physical state. I hope you understand that. You, you Do you realize that you will not spend eternity in heaven? What, what's this pastor saying? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. We spend eternity on a new Earth, There's a new heaven and a new earth that's coming, Revelation 21, where all things will be made new, and we will be resurrected, and we will live with the resurrected bodily Jesus on a physical new earth in resurrected physical bodies with him forever, forever. It's like a return to Eden when all things were perfect. It is good. 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 good. And beloved, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Not just spiritually, but our entire being. All that we are has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And we not only can, but we're called to worship Him, spirit, soul, and body. In fact, our bodies have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. God Himself dwells within us. I... Figure that out scientifically. I don't I don't understand all of that, but that's the reality. Let me just say this. I don't even know where I'm in my notes right now, but let me just say this that this is so not only, because here's where we can get, oh man, the pastor's just saying, I gotta buckle up and I gotta obey God, man, and I gotta crucify my flesh. Yeah. That's true. That's true. you got to flee all that stuff. And that takes effort. And that takes decisions. It's not always easy. we got to deny the flesh. we got to wake up. we got to choose the spirit, not the flesh. Choose to follow the spirit, not our old nature. The flesh in Romans is our old nature when it speaks of that. That's true. But here's the other thing. God has given us all we need for life and godliness. Here's the other thing that you're going to read about in first corinthians. No temptation has seized you Except what's common to man, but check this out. But god is faithful He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear and he always provides a way out So in the middle of our temptation in the middle of that temptation to go back to that junk Of of old we can look to god and say god you promised there's a way out show me the way out and grab hold of his grace, his power, and walk in that way out and, 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 and say no. And say no. He's given us all we need for that. All we need. It's a beautiful thing. Let me read this. I, I just paraphrased it earlier. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You have the indwelling of God in your life so again when you wake up in the morning is anything impossible do you need to just live for the mundane do you need to just be tossed to and fro by this crazy messed up world no you have you have the living God dwelling fully within you let's let's live from that perspective okay and then it goes on it says you're not your own You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. With your bodies. What we do with our bodies affects our entire being. For the Corinthians, visiting prostitutes affected them spiritually. For us, the things you watch on Netflix is going to affect you. Spiritually, we're all t- it's all tied together. And it got so bad to where the, the, Paul, you're going to see in, in, in chapter 15, has to talk to these believers about the resurrection because their, their view of the body was so messed up they couldn't even understand and process the whole idea that Christ was resurrected and that, that we too, like Christ, will be resurrected into physical bodies. They were struggling with that whole aspect. So let Paul instruct you in that and and bring us all into right understanding of how we were created. So the Corinthian church was infected with sin. They were looking. They were acting like the world. Paul provided the appropriate treatment plan, and it starts with don't ignore the problems. All right? So there's a problem in the church, point number one. Point number two, don't ignore the problem. How many of you have a check engine light that came on in your your vehicle and it's still on and you haven't done anything about it? Don't ignore the problem. I have loved ones who ignore the problem and their whole engine blew up and it cost them thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. Y'all, when there's a problem, when something's broke, When something isn't working, whether it's just a vehicle, your body, you know, something spiritual, how you're thinking about things, how you're acting, ding, 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 the light is on, don't ignore the problem. Problems don't typically just get better. They go from bad to what? Worse. That's how things go. Don't ignore the problem. So, Paul, you're going to see in 1 Corinthians, he's saying, hey, look, instead of just turning a blind eye to the relational divisions and, and the immorality, the craziness, that dude who's sleeping with his father's wife, I mean, I, again, instead of just, turn, just not even addressing it, Paul's like, look, you got to deal with this head on. You can't just ignore it and hope it goes away. We turn to God and we take some action. With things and it says in 1 Corinthians six eighteen, flee from sexual immorality flee from it run away from it so Paul calls out sin he calls the church to turn from it he tells the church to stop acting like the world he reminds the church that they're different God now dwells within you that's pretty different <laughs> that's pretty amazing And then Paul, though, he was willing to risk his his relationship with this church, to risk the fact that, oh, how are they going to think of me if I talk to them this way, if I point this kind of stuff out, you know, because we all want everybody to love us. And and Paul was willing to risk all that in order to help this church cleanse themselves from this sin, the stuff that was really holding them back and crippling them. He was willing to have the hard talk. And I'm going to tell you, it's in stark contrast to to a lot of the church today. It is. That's why so much of the church just won't even talk about things as obvious as abortion and the issue with abortion and what it is. And by the way, as I talk about that, please know my heart and know where I am on this because I'm going to speak out very, very vehemently. And passionately about the issue that it is the murder that it is the the just just how but I also want you to know that I come alongside of those who have been on the wrong side of this in the past and I'm gonna hold your hand and I'm gonna pray with you and we're gonna walk through this and God's gonna restore you and he's gonna redeem you and he's gonna he's gonna pick you up and you're going to walk with the joy of the Lord that was robbed from you as the enemy came and just took you down a wrong path. But we're going to talk about problems. We're going to address the whole issue with this gender dysphoria and what it's doing to children, to precious children. We're going to walk with people through this stuff. And not just call we don't just call this stuff out. We we walk this stuff out. We walk it out. But if we call it out, aren't people going to leave? And I mean, whatever. I mean, whatever. Here's the deal. So many Christians and so many churches are choosing woke instead of love. I think they are the antithesis of one another. I believe woke is the opposite of love. It just is. It's turning a blind eye to sin and letting people drown and die and get chewed up and spit out by the craziness of the world we live in. That's what woke is. Love is, I'm going to come alongside of you and we're going to talk this thing out and walk this thing out. And God's going to show up and he's going to restore you and you're going to walk in the joy and the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's love. Woke ignores the problems. Love addresses the problems. Let's go to point number three. The Bible has the answers. The Bible has the answers. Remember, Paul was asked all these questions by the church. How do we deal with this kind of stuff? Chloe, in her household, wrote him this letter and said, this church is messed up. And Paul brings the answers through the Holy Spirit. This is is the word of God now to us. God's word, the Bible, has the answers of how to deal with things when they're when they're going off the tracks when when it's just not right when it's not fruitful and profitable God walks us through And helps us deal with this stuff so that we can we can be walking in god's grace and enjoying his blessing So paul says in 1 corinthians chapter seven We see this kind of this shift in 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 the letter and, and paul says now for the matters you wrote about Okay, I'm dealing with all this Chloe's household stuff and and straighten things. Now now let's turn and talk about the questions that you have for me, and and let's talk those things through. See, there are things that the church must altogether just stop doing. We've just talked about some of those, right? You just got to stop it. Just stop, right? Flee. Stop. But then, there are also those things the church needs to start doing and do more of. And for a lot of you right here today, that, that might be the, the side of the, of the coin that you're on right now. Man, you've been walking with the Lord for a while and you, you've just seen so much of, uh, of your old habits falling off of you, but maybe you're, now you're in the season where there's things that you need to start doing and maybe start doing more of. But again, it's not about performance, it's just about walking in the ways of God and those ways are good and they're profitable, the ways of life. So Here are two examples. I want to look at two examples of, of the call to do more of it, but do it well. Example number one, the Lord's Supper, communion. Do more of it, but do it well. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six: 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Whenever you do that, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. That's a good thing. We need to do it. We need to do more of it, but do it well. Because, as he continues in in 11.29, he says, For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So anyway, just a heads up, next month we're going to start taking communion together every week. We're going to do it, we're going to do it more, and by God's grace, we're going to do it well. So that's something we're going to start doing. Here's another example of do it more, but do it well. It's spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14. 1439 says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, do it, do more of it, and and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but do it well. He says in in verse 40 right after that, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly manner. Do it, do more of it, but do it well, right? And we're going to talk more about this. I'm, I'm planning on next week really just going through 1 Corinthians 14 and talking about the spiritual gifts and and that that call that we have from God to engage in the things of the spirit and to do it do more of it and do it well. Number 4, let's apply it. I got a roll here cuz we got some baptisms coming up. Let's apply it. That's one thing you're going to see also in this letter. Is that Paul's not just saying a bunch of stuff just to say it and give a bunch of doctrine, although there is a lot of doctrine and there's truth and there's principles, but he wants us to apply these things. He's dealing with real issues, real life, real church here, and he wants us to apply these things to our lives, to our fellowship with one another, and to the body of Christ. But, check this out, should we be applying the practice or the principle? Yes, yes, sometimes, all the time, all, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Is this letter, 1 Corinthians, a how-to manual for us to copy every practice outlined by Paul to this church in Corinth at that time, or is this letter laying out timeless principles for us to adopt for all times? Yes, yes, maybe, yes, but, well, okay. These are things that we get to explore and discover. Here's here's what I want to do, and and I, I need to point these things out because... People, this is why we have all kinds of different views on, on what the Bible says and what we're supposed to do with it, okay? How many of you know there's a lot of views about what we're supposed to do with the Bible and how we're supposed to, I mean, there's a lot of different views, right? Just go down the street, how many different denominations, churches, and this and that. Well, we didn't like that little thing, so now we're going to do this thing. And uh, Anyway, it, it gets really silly. But here's an example of, of wrongly making a practice out of a principle. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be in First Corinthians for this first one. I'm gonna, just going to go back to the life of Jesus. Jesus... One time when he got together with all the disciples, they got together at somebody's house, and he washed their feet, the feet of the disciples, right? So why did he wash their feet? Well, he washed their feet because their feet were dirty, because they showed up, they're wearing sandals, their feet were dirty, all kinds of stuff, I'll use that word, stuff, all over their feet, and when they came into the house... people needed their feet washed because they would sit around and they'd have their feet right in front of somebody else's face. And so typically a servant of the household would come and wash everybody's feet and get them all cleaned up so that when they were hanging out together, it was pleasant, right? Jesus, on this occasion, he got on his knees and he grabbed the water and he grabbed the cloth and he washed their feet. It was a practical thing that he did, but the principle is, that we are to be servants to all. It's better to serve than to receive. We need to serve one another. So my feet don't get dirty when I come to church, y'all, because I took a shower, I put socks on, I got shoes on. Man, they're, they're taken care of. I mean, but you know what gets dirty when I come to church? Sometimes my truck gets dirty. So y'all want to bless me? You know, you can do a, We can do a truck washing or a car washing when we come to church, and, and that would maybe be the equivalent. But let me, let me give more of an equivalent to this. Do you want to you follow the way of Christ? When you come together, are we together right now on a Sunday? You want to be like Jesus? When you come on a Sunday, look for opportunities to serve those that you come together with. Amen? Don't just come to receive. It's better to give Than to receive. We're called to be the servants of all of one another. I'm going to tell you right now, we have some needs here on Sunday mornings as we gather together. There are people who faithfully every single week, every single month serve in kids' life. They need your help. They need you to grab that towel to wash those feet per se, to serve those kids. You want to be like Jesus and take the principle of Christ? We don't need our feet washed here, but we need our children ministered to in kids' life. And I want to implore you. If you, have, you, don't, and you don't have to be, it's not a teacher. You're, you're a class facilitator. Man, Kelly and her team, they've got everything all set up for you, and it's a joy to pour in to these little ones. It's a joy. So there's one principle over practice. Here's another one. Um, Back in the day in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, this one's often misinterpreted and misapplied, it talks about women. And people look at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, oh, women should wear hats. Women need to wear hats in church. Really? Well, firstly, there's nothing stated in 1 Corinthians 11 about hats. There's nothing. The word veil is used, but it's never talked about a woman wearing a veil. It equates the woman's hair to a veil, of talks about her hair being that of like a veil it doesn't say anything about a woman wearing a veil less much less about wearing a hat so it's really that passage in first corinthians 11 is really about hair men's hair should be shorter than women's hair why because of the principle is that the person sitting behind you in church should know whether they're sitting behind a man or behind a woman? But is that really the principle that, that, that Paul's really getting to in the church and what our understanding? Is it all about hats? No. Is it all really about the length of our hair? No. That's not the big principle and message that Paul is presenting here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The deeper principle is that men and women are different. Can I get an Amen. amen. Men and women are different. The purpose of this passage isn't about hats, it's not about hairs, but it's about heads. But now you're thinking, about a head? You know, not, No, not about our, our heads. The message is the diff- real difference between men and women. It's about that God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the man, and the man is the head of, of the woman. Ultimately, God is telling us that in Christ we're still male and female. Amen. 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 We're still male and female. We haven't been neutered. Our God-given gender matters, and it matters to God. And when we worship God, when we come together, we're not just worshiping him as a bunch of humans according to God's perspective. We're worshiping him as men and women. And he's glorified by that distinction. It's beautiful to him. It's how he created us. And when we worship him and live for him in the way that he created us, it most glorifies him. And so again, the principle over the practice that we want to create. And it's not about hats. It's about the principle of of headship context matters don't read other stuff into scripture that's called isogeating. we don't want to do that we want to we want to take what god is saying to us and let that be what it is so i want to invite the the band to come up i want to invite pastor phil to come up we're going to close out here and we're going to do some baptisms as you're reading through first corinthians my prayer is that you get excited you get excited for the fact of what christ has done for you in that you have what you need to say no to the, to the stupid, silly, hurtful, harmful stuff of your past, and that you can walk in freedom now in Christ Jesus. I want you to get encouraged that, that we can love one another in such a way that the body of Christ is built up. As you're reading through 1 Corinthians, I want you to just get excited about the gifts that God has for us that he is supernatural, and we get to engage with God in a supernatural way. Y'all are watching over there. This this closing is amazing, by the way. (laughs) I mean, it's incredible, but (laughs) that's a joke. So let me just say, read the whole letter this week. There's something about reading the whole letter in one sitting, if you're able to do that. Put aside some time. Just keep going. Read through it. Make some mental notes. Make a couple maybe small notes, but just keep going and get the bigger picture so that at the end of your 45 minutes of reading, you can go, wow, that's what God just said. There it is. And we're going to come back together again next week. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into 1 Corinthians, specifically chapter 14. It's going to be a glorious time. But at this time, we get to enjoy something that that if this doesn't get you excited, then y'all, we need to talk. You know what I'm saying? We need to talk. Because we're going to do some water baptism. So Pastor Phil, you want to take it?